Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to McKnight Tonight. My special guest might be friends with some of the world's most famous faces, but she's carved out her own successful career in the UK, US and Australia. In fact, she has changed Australian culture by introducing pantomime, something so very British that has never translated to this country until now. Bonnie Lithgow, welcome to McKnight Tonight. Cheers, Cheers. and it's a pleasure to be here. We've got the champers out. We always like to do this over a champagne, a bottle of champagne, although Uh, I've got two today. Oh, no. Do you know what I'm like after one glass? I doubt that I'll be able to take two. (laughs) (laughs) Now, look, in that intro, it, it might sound like I'm overstating it, but Panto has never worked in this country, but you've made it a success. Well, I think the reason I've made it a success in Australia is that Panto is has to be part of the British culture. So what I decided, well, there are many things that I decided. Firstly, that we should do it in your winter because in your summer you just go out and sunbathe. <laughs> no one's going inside. <laughs> no one's inside. They're all having barbecues <laughs> and swimming. And that's in fact, that was one of the first things I saw when I came here, that everybody's outside. Yeah. So it, it struck me that I should do it in the winter. And having made that decision, I needed to bring over the British sets and all the things and the costumes that come from the UK. So the sets that we've got here at the moment come from the London Palladium, Jury Lane, you name it. They're all the big, yes, theatres. So I thought that's the next thing I must do. And then bring in British comedy because... It's so different to Australian comedy. So I knew that I had to teach. Although there's a, uh, maybe from a performance point of view, but as a consumer, we've been aligned to British comedy for so long. So when you see the pantomime, and I was there the other night at the premiere, um, it, it feels very natural, even though the idea of going to a pantomime for Australians always seems so foreign and so very British. But when you actually go there and you partake in it, it's actually a great, fun experience. But... Is it a performance issue you had to work on? I think it was a performance issue, really. I had to kind of... I think the main problem was breaking down the fourth wall. Right. That's probably what it really was because kids go to the theatre, go to Greece, go to all the different shows, but actually being able to say boo and hiss and actually talk to the cast, Mm -hmm. which you've never done before. So I think that was my big problem if you like and getting over that but now I've got over that and now the children and the families come in because this is actually our fifth year here Mm. in Sydney they come in and they're all ready to boo and hiss but honestly Rob it's still a bit of a problem when it comes to panto mime because I have to really stress it's panto musical because in the UK now they've gone far far away from just the old kind of pantomime and I've got a feeling that sometimes the the Australians still feel that pantomime means their local hall is putting on a little show and it's not the professional show that I'm bringing over to Australia so I still have a little bit of a problem there. Well you know when you were launching um, Panto in Australia, did you feel like you were sticking your neck out? How big was the risk? Because I think other people have tried and it hasn't worked. 
I always felt that it was going to be a risk because I put my own money into this show mm. and I tried really hard to get other people to invest, but it was difficult. So I knew it was going to be a tremendous wish. Uh, sorry, a tremendous wish. Oh, get it right, Bonnie. <laughs> a tremendous risk. Um, but don't you think when you have a love of something so much that you – just go for it. I knew if I got the right dancers behind me, the right team behind me. I brought over the lighting designer from UK, the writers British too, Chris Wood. So I brought a lot of that over. Once you've yeah, that's an interesting point. There's a lot of talent that comes from the UK, and Kev, who is one of the performers, <laughs> it is such a delight seeing him, and he owns that stage. And I actually do think those choices and the behind the scenes choices you've made are what has helped make it a success, and also putting it on at places like the State Theatre where it doesn't feel like some hall production, you know, like this feels legit and it's it, it, it becomes an experience. It does become an experience and, and I think a friend of mine said to me, if you're going to go and do it in, in Australia, don't go small. Go mm. as big as you can with the theatre. And then the State became available and I thought, I'm going to do it there. I just love the theatre. It reminds me of the UK. I just mm. walk in there and it's just so beautiful. So I thought, right, I've got to get the ingredients correct. And the other thing that I always do is I always go back to the UK over Christmas so that I can go and look at all the different pantos and different things so that I am bringing to up-to-date panto here. I mean, for instance, next year we're going to do Jack and the Beanstalk with 3D because that's what's happening in the UK. The 3D? Yes. We're going a little bit further because... Now you take Jack and the Beanstalk. So when he's climbing up the Beanstalk, suddenly the rocks fly out and the leaves fly out to the audience. So we're going to bring that in next year, which has just come into the UK about last year, actually, really. it started. So you're adapting very quickly to the new trends. I am adapting very quickly. I think I have to because I just feel I've got to get away from them thinking it's just a small little show Mm. in the back street. And there are still stumbling blocks because, you know, I went to the Helpman Awards the other day and we wanted to be recognised, but they still don't recognise us. And their nose up They it. do. And that really upsets me because I think what we are doing is entertaining families. I mean, just today we do something called a relaxed performance. I don't know if you know about that. I have an autistic daughter, so I have some knowledge of it, but tell us about it. It's so beautiful. Once Every year we do it, and we started about three years ago, and we had 200 children, and now families, I should say. We now had 800 in today. And what we do is we take the lights to half. We let them run around if they want to. We take all the bangs out of everything. So it's a naturally easier show for the children to see. And all the house. Um, people are there, so make yeah. sure, I can't think what you call them, the, the, the chaperones. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say chaperones. The ushers are there. So we do it as a family-friendly show. So one of the things that hit me and did in the UK, to be honest, was that families want to bring their children to theatre, but they may have an autistic child, they may have a child with special needs, and they don't feel they can bring a child with special needs with two children that don't have special yep. needs. So how do you overcome that? So if they know they're coming to the theatre and it's a relaxed performance, they will come with the whole family. And honestly, it's just the most beautiful, beautiful mm. show. And everybody, the cast today, they were, you know, I told them you may, it be, it'll be different, it'll be a different show and people will laugh at different times and people will yell at different times. <laughs> but um, it, that show really works. And again, I stress that everything I'm bringing over here is up to date from the UK. Yes. You're you're a born entertainer. What do you love about the industry? I think when I was born, my mum said the minute she was born, she was talking and chatting, and I, <laughs> I, I think I, I think I was just born happy. I, mum was very much into the theatre and into dance, and I think she pushed me that way when I was about three. But I, this is a funny example. But I had to do a dance number. When I was three years old, and I was doing a musical theatre that Mum sent me to, and it was called "There Once Was an Ugly Duckling." I don't know if you know. There once mm-hmm. was an ugly duckling, and I had to sing that song, and then. I said, but I'm not singing that. My mum said, don't be ridiculous. It's a song. No, I'm not singing that because I'm going to be an ugly duckling and I don't want to be an ugly duckling. I want to be somebody much better than that. And that was. I want to be glamorous, mother. <laughs> yeah. I want to be very glamorous, mummy. And I want to be a swan, not an ugly duckling. And I think from that minute, I just went, wanted to be. 
not a star ever. I never wanted to be a star and still don't. But I, I just wanted success for something I love so much. I, but you just, love performing. I do love performing. I mean, when I was 15, I was chosen to be in a film called with, To Serve With Love mm-hmm. with Sidney Poitier. And honestly, I'd only just got to um, my college and James Clavell, the director, came out and said he was looking for young young people to be in this film. I mean, oh, I, I think I'd like to do that. And I went for six auditions and I got it. And I was in the film for like five or six months. And I loved it. Uh, it was just part of me. And I, I can't honestly say what it is that makes me just love the theatre, love TV, love film. But... I, the people as well, whether it's I can sometimes sit back and watch a story unfold in front of my eyes and see actors act out a story. I, I honestly don't know, Rob, but I know that I love it. And, and when I was a kid, when I was at school, all I did was <laughs> my my reports would always say, this girl has a great imagination. It was not much about education. But it- <laughs> <laughs> I, I had the same problem. Um, it was quite a thing to get on a movie like that. And that's where you met Lulu and became friends with her. Yes. She was the first person I met, actually, right. when I was doing um, To Soap With Love. We were walking through the, the roads of London and um, there was a location place where we could get sausage sandwiches. So the pair of us went and got sausage sandwiches. And actual fact, we're friends for a long time. We kind of picked up that friend and um, yeah, we spent a lot of time together in actual fact when she married Morris Gibb and then her son was born um, Jordan and her continued then her marriage to John Frieda and I used to go to John Frieda's and we both used to get her hair done and oh, in fact even did the um, Lulu series back Back in the 70s, I was in a dance company called The Young Generation, and it was Lulu and Dudley Moore. And yes, yeah, so I. And she was on, in that with you, was she? She was. It was because the, that was one of your first auditions, and you got in. Yeah, I did. It was the first audition. What for, for to serve with love? No, no, for the oh. young generation. Oh my goodness! Um, do you know what, Rob? We can talk forever. <laughs> <laughs> so Lulu was in Young Generation. No, we. The that was young, my confusion. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, that was probably me rattling on. That was the confusion. <laughs> um, no, what happened was in the seventies, we were a dance company called. Um, the young generation, and I was on a pound bet in those days, and I was doing a presenting a sooty and sweet series for ITV TV, <laughs> and I'd done three years, and they wanted me to do another three, and I always wanted to dance. The young generation in the late 60s and 70s was just the best group for the, with the BBC, and I wanted to be in it, and they wanted three people. Um, that, yeah, three. So I went along to this audition, there was like 800, and um, my friend sent me a long as a bet and I said well I'm going because I, I it, once I'm in a competition then I'm there <laughs> and so I went along and I got the job and the funny thing was the choreographer, choreographer was Nigel Lithgow yes. who didn't actually want me well didn't he actually fire you he didn't actually fire me, but he didn't. So Wikipedia me- <laughs> is wrong because I, you know, I, I I was doing a lot of research on you, and I yes, know you pretty well, but I wanted a bit of detail. And um, the Wikipedia page says that he dismissed you, and I thought, I wonder if that's true because how do you then? you know, fall in love with someone who's dismissed you. No, he didn't dismiss me. I suppose what they mean is when we did the audition, there was 800 of us auditioning. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the audition was so hard. And I just thought, oh, I can't stay. I'll never get it. So I started to walk out. And the producer, Stuart Morris, who was the head of BBC at the time with Bill Cotton, he said, come back, come back. So I said, yes. He said, we really like you. He said, we'd like you to take your photograph and we, we need your home address and everything else and we'll contact you. I went, okay, fine. So I left and then I think it was about two days later, he rang me and said, look, I'm going to put the cards on the table. He said, the choreographer, Nigel Lithgow, he doesn't actually want you in the, in the show, but we know your personality is what we need for mm-hmm. the company. So we're going to take you on a six-week contract and see how you go. Well, six-week contract, I thought, yeah, <laughs> you won't be getting rid of me that quick so I, I went along and I stayed all um, I think nine years eight or nine years so how did the relationship with Nigel develop 
the relationship with Nigel developed over a very funny situation. I was he was a flatmate. There were three flatmates. And and just so people know, Nigel Lithgow is the man who um, was one of the creative forces be- behind Pop Stars, American Idol. So you think he can dance? Yes, yes, that's right. He was. He's uh, not at that stage though. He was the choreographer. At the choreographer, and he actually got Nigel got the job as an assistant choreographer because we'd been working with Dougie Squires. He was another choreographer in the early seventies, late sixties, seventies, and he decided that he wanted to take his own group away and make them into the second gen. So we had a new choreographer. In the meantime, Nigel became the assistant but then took over as the choreographer. And he was a flat. He had There were three in the flat. Um, there was John Mullaney, Kenny Warwick, who's worked with Nigel all his life, and Nigel. And I was going out with John Mullaney. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going out with him, and Nigel was going out with another girl. I, I think I can't remember her name, actually. And so I always used to go back to the flat because I was going to see John, and then there was always Nigel there, and there was Kenny there, the three of them. So it was always like we were always back to, with each other. And then John... John and I broke up, but or just before we broke up, I should say that Nigel always used to appear. John and I shared an apartment, and Nigel used to knock at the door. And we said, "Oh, Nigel's here," because he was always wanting a sandwich or something. <laughs> so he was always popping by. So how does it go from this animosity? It sounds like into a, into love. The funny thing is, I think it was like, I mean, I, Nigel was not my type. Mm. First of all, he had, he was a long haired lover from Liverpool because his <laughs> hair came down to his shoulders. <laughs> oh my goodness. And he always had a guitar on his back. Now you've got to remember Some that. Some people I, find that sexy. <laughs> I didn't. I promise I didn't. And also I come from a Jewish family. My father's Jewish. <laughs> so my dad was always wanting me to marry this Jewish person. Of course. Of course. And then Nigel knocks. Then somehow Nigel and I kind of got friends mm-hmm. and he'd pop over to see me because I I'd broken up with John and um and Nigel had broken up with his girlfriend. So he kind of was he was in my our area. We lived about twenty he was minutes apart. <laughs> he knew what he wanted. I don't know if he did, but I never forget the day he arrived at the, the front door of my parents' house and he said, Oh, I want to see as then uh, Bonnie Benita, because that's my other name. I see Bonnie and my father's face and he he came back to me. <laughs> was he still long haired? A long haired lout? <laughs> he, he was. Sorry, Nigel, I don't mean it really bad. But he was. And my dad said you're not dating him, are you? I went, well, we're friends, Dad. We're going to go out. But he wears makeup. He must be gay. He <laughs> must be a dancer. I went, no, he's a bloke and he's quite normal. And we Well, have- then I'm safe. My, <laughs> my virginity is fine, Father. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I should have said. Oh, my gosh. I was so shocked by him. Anyway, so I, I can't honestly say to you when it turned from like to love but we had a great deal in common I mean we were friends for ages Nigel and I and we often used to talk about well for me it was John Mullaney who Nigel grew up with and I was really upset when we broke up and likewise he was too but suddenly we clicked and then we we started dating and we tried to keep it quiet because if that would have been controversial (sighs) with you working together in the dance Truth. Yes, it was. So we tried. We said, "Look, let's be just dancer, choreographer at work, and then we'll meet in some secret place after <laughs> work or something like that." So that's what we did for about a couple of months, I suppose, two or mm-hmm. three months, and then we went to a restaurant in Kensington and walked into two of the young generation that were having yeah. dinner. And we went, "Oh, that's it. That's it. We're Court out. It's sprung. out. Yes, it, out." So was the, there a liberation that came with that, though? You could just be honest with everyone? Yeah, I think so. But then, yes, but we kept it. We, d- we were doing a series at the time called They Sold a Million, which was a big successful series in the UK. And the person that was fronting it was a guy called Vince Hill. And Vince, we, did, we kept it from Vince. Mm-hmm. So now the young generation know that Nigel and I are seeing each other. So Nigel... Um, took me he was working with Sir Cliff Richard at the London Palladium and Cliff was singing this song Devil Woman and then he went into the a little bit of the young generation not the young generation the young ones or was it Summer Holiday when he went to Athens he went to I can't remember if it was Summer Holiday or the young well Summer Holiday yeah was sort of he did a version of that with the young ones of course that's what I'm thinking of I can't remember before that time well, we saw this. He was showing us these photos of Athens, and we were sitting in the auditorium. And Nigel said, 
let's go to Athens. I went, oh, okay, I'd never been away with him before. I thought, oh, okay, let's go to Athens. So we went away to Athens and he proposed to me uh, Did you, And you didn't see it coming? No, actually, look, thinking about it, I thought it was a bit strange he was taking me and I was hoping it was coming, but I wasn't sure it was coming, but it was the most romantic thing. It was right at the top of this kind of the Acropolis. It was oh, right near there. Fabulous. It was. So we got engaged. And I can still see a joy in you when you talk about that. It's, it's obviously a lovely memory and no matter what's happened since then, I can still see a joy when you think about that moment. I think there'll always be a joy. Mm-hmm. There'll always be a relationship that's... Better than better, really, for mm. Nigel and I. I mean, we had our two boys together and we had a lifetime together. You know, you've got to remember, he came from nothing. He came from Liverpool. I came from a kind of a middle-class family. But we worked together and we fought together for our own identity, really. Well, it's interesting you say that because his fame grew and his power with some hit shows. But you are, uh, are a successful performer in your own right but did you feel that his career always came first without question I always felt his career came first but I'm not sure I identified that because once we were married we were in 1974 then we I fell pregnant in the following month and then we had Simon so so there were distractions the, you know with bringing up kids yes and things like that. there was and it was always, to be honest, there was only ever room for one of us in it when we were growing up. And, we were, and Nigel had to take all the jobs he could. He was freelance, so he was into choreography. So there was really only room for one of us. But, but that can bind a couple. But when the kids grow up and he achieved, you know, he was nasty Nigel on yes. Pop Stars. Yes. How, how was that at home when he was the villain of the, the country at the time? It was really tough. But with Nigel doing um, Pop Idol. Um, oh, Pop oh, Idol, my po- yeah, I think you said Pop Idol, didn't I? I said Pop Stars. I, I, no, I think you're right. Pop Stars, you're right. I'm because wrong. Because it became it, American That's Idol. right. No, you're right. It was Pop Stars. Well, to be honest with you, I, I, I probably was rather jealous mm. um, because I wanted to be on that show with him because I knew, knew a lot about singing. I was already at... Um, the head of performing arts at Italia Conti in London. And our son found the programme. He saw the programme, Pop Stars, because I think it was over here first. Yeah, uh, there certainly was a version on Channel 7 here. Absolutely. And then it went to the UK. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and it was our son, Simon, who saw it and said, Mum, 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 you've got to look at this programme. It's fantastic. Dad needs to do it. So... Then Nigel saw it and then he took it, I believe, to Simon Fuller. And then then... The people that actually wrote that series came over to visit Nigel and I in London and to talk about it. And this is where I was really disappointed and I realised how much I wanted to be part of the same, on the same level with Nigel, was when they said, well, we want to have three judges. And um, Nigel said, well, I'm definitely, you know, I'm going to be one. (laughs) Just like that. I'm one. I'm one. And... um, I wanted him to say, and I'd like Bonnie to do it, and he didn't, and he never did. And I knew then that there was never going to be equality in our world, that I would always be the underdog. And that's okay, you know, that's just one of those things. But I didn't realise, and the truth is, I didn't realise till Nigel and I broke up that I resented that. Mm. So I think I gave him a bit of a hard time too because I wanted him to want me because I... I thought I had the talent. You didn't just want him to want you because you were his wife. No. You wanted him to want you on that program because you had value to add. I wanted him to recognise my my value and he never did. It was always when I was in London doing the shows, the big shows that I was doing, it was always, oh, that little show at Wimbledon. That (laughs) That little show at Wimbledon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the London Palladium or yeah, whatever yeah, it might be. Yeah, just the London Palladium. Yeah, the Royal Variety. Front of the Queen, whatever. Yeah, exactly, the Royal Variety. <laughs> oh, that's nothing. I don't mean it quite that badly, but um, I, I, it's really funny. It, it took me to, to break away from him to realise how much I was sad and upset and resented that I wasn't part of his world as well. He left me behind. And when we were doing Pop Stars, I felt... That I was his shadow, mm. and I never felt I was part of Nigel, and I just so wanted to be part of Nigel. And I'm not blaming him because he didn't realize either, because I didn't realize, I didn't realize what, how I was feeling. And it took me 
eventually to break away to go, hey, I can do this. I am worthy of this. And I can go forward with what we're doing. Because I actually did So You Think You Could Dance with him in America. Mm. And we didn't have the best of times, Nigel and I. Well, it's funny you say that. There was a discussion. You were on Studio 10. And there was a discussion about bad bosses. Have a listen to what you said. I've actually worked in the States with difficult bosses. Actually, one of them was um, Nigel Lithgow, but we won't go into that. Oh, oh. <laughs> ex-husband. Yeah, because but I was still an American idol. Time, right? Yeah, it was really difficult. And I was trying to go in and be really straightforward, do my job. Mm. And it got more and more difficult because obviously it was my husband and he made it very hard. And it was, I was just falling apart, to be honest with you. Pretty honest, Bonnie. Oh, golly, yes, it was pretty honest and sadly truthful as well. Mm. Um, again, I suppose, I realised... I, I, let me just say that I was so excited to be part of So You Think You Could Dance because I was part of the ba- birth of this show mm. and I was there when Simon and Nigel and me were together discussing a show. So when it became that I was going to be judging with him and like I was the audition judge with him I was thrilled because I thought how unique to have a husband and wife that have their own opinions it's a great hook it's a great hook and and I remember one time and he was this gorgeous girl came on stage and he and he said something silly like oh I'm just trying to keep looking at the way she's dancing and I went oh yeah I believe that <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I mean it great was banter. it was great banter between us but uh, and I will never know the, the bottom line of the story, but it came back to me that after the season two that they wanted only one Brit and after that Americans. I don't know the truth, but I was devastated because... you. But, but it sounds like you think he might have planned... Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Did that seed. I think he may have planted that seed, but... Honestly, Rob, I I actually don't know. I went to Simon Fuller and I asked him and he said, oh, I don't know, Bonnie, Um, speak Mm -hmm. to Nigel. And I spoke to um, the head of Fox and said, was I... Was I really bad? Because I wasn't. Because I, oh, that sounds big-headed. I don't mean it like that. But I, yeah, but you can look at it objectively. I, I think you're the kind of person who would look back and say, "No, I wasn't right for that." Uh, you know. Whereas if you sit there and tell me, "No, I I was right," I I I'd take that to the bank. And I would say that that is me. Um, mm. I'm n- I'm never ever completely happy with whatever I do. I'm a great. <laughs> I criticize myself all the time. Yeah. But. Um, yes, I felt when I did that So You Think You Could Dance, um, it was just wonderful. I loved the dancers. I loved everything about it. And I was deeply disappointed when I was asked to be on production the next, the third year. Oh, you're not going to be doing the auditions and you're going to be doing production. And that was awful for me until... I discovered that we were going to do So You Think You Could Dance here. Uh, yes, and you got that opportunity to to be one of the main judges. Well, what happened again there was I was going to do... Um, came, I was actually in in this country and my son, Christopher, he said, Mum, they're doing a series of So You Think You Could Dance in Australia. Go over there. Your son always seems to be looking out two, for you. Both my sons, Simon and... Yes. Yes, Simon and Christopher, both of them are really, really good for that. They always look after me. So he said, go down there, Mum, because they're doing a new series. Um you could be help, a help to them. So I never, I guess, I never expect anything in my life. I will do anything to Was help anybody. Was that after anybody. you broke up with Nigel? Um, we were on the back, we were on the back I, leg. With what you were saying, I got the feeling that during the American version, that was sort of the beginning of it the was, end. It was, it um, was. Going back there, Rob, um, I think the problem lay with us being apart for so long. Um mm-hmm. He was in America. I I couldn't fit in. I do now, but I couldn't fit in. He was suddenly getting very well known out there. So I'd had all that in He UK. was a celebrity. He was a celebrity there. I was coming in and 
just his wife, you know. Mm. I was just like kind of no one really. And I felt lonely there. I, I couldn't get to know people very well and I just kept going back to London, going back to London. So I was in, it was very difficult for me in America and I do believe that that was the, the real beginning of us breaking up because we kind of lost contact not interest contact with each other he was going in that direction and i was just just wandering around los angeles mm. not knowing what to do but not really being part of his so you think you could answer american idol i just didn't feel that i was so yeah it was a it was a horrible time for me really and when i came to australia honestly it was the saving of me i believe because i went down to do the um, well, to see, they were actually auditioning for So You Think You Could Dance and I went down there to, I thought I was going to just be the producer or something and I went down there. Anyway, I did, they said to me, Bonnie, can you sit in and just judge for us? And I went, yeah, well, how do you judge dancers? And I went, oh, this is how I would judge mm. dancers. And without realising it, I mean, I had no makeup on, I'd just come off a plane, I looked like nothing on earth <laughs> and there I am without me knowing that I'm auditioning for them. But great validation. Yes. For it, you. Yes. But it is a hard thing to turn your back on a marriage. Oh, yes. It's it, it's a terrible thing to do. And I have to say that so you think you could dance when I got it. I said, you better be wanting me for me and not me because I'm connected to Nigel because I'm not signing any contract unless it's me you want. Because if you're using me because of him, I'm not going to do it. And I actually said that. Well, that takes a lot of guts on two levels. One you sort of knew where things were going with your marriage. and But two, to stand up and say, you've got to want me. Yes. And not the contacts. Yes. That's yes. actually, it's a risk. It's a huge risk, but I was willing to take that risk because I, I think I'd got to the stage where, you know, Nigel was brilliant. Nigel's brilliant in everything he does. But I just got to the stage where I thought, it's actually time for me to prove myself. I don't want to be Mrs. Nigel Lithgow mm. anymore. I want to be Bonnie Lithgow that actually can do things for herself. But leaving my marriage was shocking. Just in, in anybody's life, how does anybody walk out of a marriage? We were married 31 years and it was it's awful. A long time. Awful. You know, I, I spoke to the boys and. They said, Mom, you've got to do what you, you, you've got to do in your life. And Your boys sound extraordinary, I've got to say. You know, like um, it's one thing to offer support but to accept that your parents are breaking up and that your mum is making that choice. Mm. It, it, it does sound like you have their love and support. I definitely do. Um, I've always been close to my sons because also because when Nigel and I were kind of making, trying to make money when he was a choreographer, he was away so mm. much that in many ways I became mum plus yeah. to my sons because, of course, Nigel had to go and work. So, yes, we are extremely close. And they were upset. Nobody wants their parents to break up mm. ever, ever. But at the same time, they understood because... Nigel was happy with his fame and fortune and life. And, and I, I, honestly, it, it's always 50-50. It's not just about him and it's also about me. Of course. But it really is. And I think I grew apart from him. But how I ever got the guts to say, I've, I'm going, Nigel, this is it. I will never, never know because... I can say this honestly, This take it takes tremendous strength from a woman to turn around and say, I've had a fantastic marriage really throughout my life, but it's not right. And to actually face that fact. It's very easy fact, to stay in a relationship rather than walk away from a relationship. It is because some women, and I've done um, a couple of um, speeches really about women who never have the guts, I guess, to be mm. able to walk away from a marriage because let's put it this way. When you're in a marriage, you've been in a marriage for a long time. You've got your home. You've, you're comfortable probably money-wise if you've been married 31 years. You know your, your mortgage is being paid off. Your kids are growing up. So you've got all of that. So I think it's tremendous strength for some women to actually be able to say, whatever the situation I'm walking away because at the moment I don't feel I'm fulfilling my marriage. I feel that I am 
probably neglecting it. Not fulfilling it yourself. And not fulfilling myself. Not f- Yes. Yeah. So um, it really was horrible. I remember I packed my bags. I didn't want to go and he didn't want me to go. And it was just horrible, horrible, horrible. And I went back to London. And I get, still go over it, Rob. We've been divorced now seven or eight years. We're still great friends. And I still go over what went wrong, what did go wrong. It's never just one thing, though. No, 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 it's not. It's a million things. But I will say it was the best thing I've ever done to actually get myself together Mm. and actually say, you're stronger than that. You can deal with this. And if any woman has the guts and is unhappy in their lives... You do survive. You may not survive as you want to. You may not be the best. But I truly believe that you don't have to stay in an unhappy marriage. And we were unhappy. We're probably closer now than we ever were. Mm. I'm going to the States again in a week or so. And who am I going to be seeing first? (laughs) Nigel. Um, Yeah. Was it the making of you, do you think? The make Nigel. Walking away. No, walking away from the marriage. Having to stand on your own two feet. Without question, it was the making of me, walking away. But you don't know that at the time, Rob. You, you're walking away from a marriage thinking, what am I going to do? Mm. What am I going to do next? You know, he's here. I'm Where's going back the to Where's the money going to come from? Yes, because you're out there on your mm-hmm. own. So it's really tricky. So, yes, um, it, it, was, it, was, it was tough. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I have to say... So you think you, you could dance was my life it, because it was I was perfect. it was perfect timing for me mm. because I was at that stage not divorced but going through the process of it going backwards and forwards but because I had to concentrate and because I'm a perfectionist and because I believe in my career my life and everything I knew that I had to give 100% to the dancers and I couldn't take five minutes to think about what my world was like outside of that the dancers world so I got through that and I, I have to say one of my most beautiful friends forever is Kathy Scott. Kathy Scott for me was so wonderful. She knew, nobody knew in on So You Think You Could Dance that I was going through a bad time with Nigel, but she was always there for me and she was such a support and somehow I got through it and as I gradually got through it and I bet you I bet you that first series I was pretty pretty damn awful <laughs> pretty damn, I'm sure I was I don't know but that's what I mean you're honest about that stuff yeah yes oh yes I am because you know when you're against Jason Coleman you go oh my god he's so clever and I'm just thinking oh. um, <laughs> the good thing was I didn't know the dancers so I could I, I could be a hundred percent honest yeah I could be so yeah it was definitely definitely a moment of brilliance being able to do the series like that because it just took me through really, really horrible times. Well, you went into the jungle for I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. That's a whole other story. Woo-hoo-hoo. But <laughs> I still can't I believe you did that. I need another glass of champagne. <laughs> but uh, while you were in there, you did talk about Nigel. Let's have a listen to what you said. Oh. I always say this. I was Mrs. Cellophane. You can look right through me. And really, it was just, it just was getting slowly. But although I had a very professional great job it was never about mine it was always about him and his job and his everything well he wasn't going to give up he he wants to be back still mm. during that conversation you mentioned he hurt you a lot during your marriage mm. was it just the way he treated you during working together or you know were, were there other factors at play no to be honest with you it was working but i as i said to you earlier i didn't really realize that i mean I just think that Nigel and I had different lives, that he, that hurt me, but I didn't understand why it hurt me. He would have one side where he was, had his friends and he'd go out and deal with his TV work and I'd have my friends that I worked with. So it was really, and I've analysed this and analysed this, it really was that I could never be up there with him. He didn't want me to be, he didn't want me to be, um, successful with him I suppose in a way if I had my life over again I would have realised that from the beginning and then I should have done what I should have done is just 
fought for myself and gone for my own career. And you know that speech that I did, um, uh, I'm a Celebrity, I actually quite regretted that because we thought we were... Um, the alone. mics are always on, Bonnie. Oh, I know the mics are always <laughs> on, but I felt so bad because I was, you know, when you're in the jungle and why you do it, you don't know, but you're hungry, mm. you're thinking about so many things. And the things. cameras are recording 24-7. They're recording 24-7 and I, I just forgot and I, I obviously felt that, but I realised that, you know, you're in charge of your own destiny. If that's what I felt at that time, and I obviously did, I should have said, enough's enough, I need to change mm. my life. Why am I blaming him when I need to be blaming myself, really? You know, early you mentioned Lulu and meeting her and becoming good friends with her, but her and Nigel actually became close after you guys split up, right? Yes, that's true, and... It's not the fact, I mean, Nigel and I, when Nigel saw that program, he was quite upset with me about that I'd spoken about Lou and he said, you didn't have to talk about her, really. She was a friend of mine and um, I felt bad then, I thought. To give some context, so Lulu appeared on Studio 10 um, and was a little dismissive of your friendship. In fact, I've got that grab here. Let's have a listen to that and we'll we'll explain the rest. You just missed Bonnie Lithgow who was here earlier this week. She was head of head part of Barton, I think. Yeah. Was it Bonnie Lithgow? Absolutely. Yes, it was. She was talking about to serve with love and sort of dismissive weren't wasn't Bonnie in it. And and that hurt you because then you did speak out on Studio Ten about how that hurt you. It did hurt me a great deal, but um the one thing I will say, it hurt me because she was my friend. And I don't know if I have the right to say this, but I it was personal to me because I didn't understand why she would go out with Nigel when she was my friend. And it, and to be honest, it really um, didn't help us. It didn't help Lou. It didn't help me. And I just didn't understand why that relationship had to happen because I don't ever see her anymore. It it was about so that was the end of your friendship. We've never spoken since. I I went up to. John Frieda's once and she was in the hairdressers and I just 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 couldn't go in there I just I I don't know if I have the right Rob to be that way I don't know if I if I should even worry because it was probably after our marriage I wouldn't I don't know but I still felt that it was the wrong thing you need more from a friend that's what I think I think I need more from a friend and that's what I think really hurt me I've never worked in theatre, but I get the feeling it's different from television. People seem much closer. In the theatre? Yeah. Definitely are because um, it's a different feeling because in the TV you go into the studio and you're just suddenly there and it's pretty cold and it's not kind of warm and friendly as it would be in the theatre. In the theatre you do rehearsals, you get to know each other and you spend time with each other. So it's always going to be much friendlier. It's a bit lovey-dovey it feels like. It is lovey-dovey, but that's what we're like, our lovey-doveys. But it can cause <laughs> issues. You faced a bit of a scandal when two of your cast members of the um, Aladdin and His Wondrous Lamp had a backstage <laughs> fling. Lauren Brandt was the former kids entertainer who was accused by her ex-fiancé of having an affair with married footy star Bo Ryan. Um, I actually think the production might have finished when the news broke about the affair, and she faced a very public backlash. It's always oh, the woman she... who cops it, isn't it? It's always the woman who cops the backlash. It, so is, it is always the woman. But I've got to tell you that I had no idea on really? my life, on my children's life, I had no idea this was going on. Because when you're a director, I separate myself from the cast because I don't want to get, get, too, I don't want to get too involved with them because they, um, I'm, I'm the boss, really, and I've got to tell them what to do. So how can I be sociable with them when the next day I'm walking in and I may be saying something not so good to them? So when this happened, I have no idea when... But I always do my job, go home. That's the end of it. So when somebody said, have you seen what's in the papers? I'm going, what are you talking about? Um, I, I, they said, what about Laurel Brandt and Bo Ryan? I went, <laughs> I had no idea on my life. I don't know when, where or what happened, but... It certainly wasn't me. And I've always, I was so pleased because I'm not a very good liar. I'm pretty bad. And I was so but pleased. But you are loyal. I am loyal. Yes, I very, I really am loyal. But I think I'd have chipped up. I would have done no, I, because I could have said something. But uh, but if I knew the real truth, somewhere along the line, I would have, I would have said something. I'm sure I would have right. said something. But I, you would I, have said stop it. 
would I have said stop? Yeah, I would have. It would have gone to the company manager, right. and the company manager. If if there was any suspicion of that, I would have spoken to her. They're adults, though. What do you do ultimately? Well, true. But loyalty with you, Bonnie, is something very big. We had you on not long on Studio Ten, not long after the Cliff Richard scandal broke, and I remember being so surprised at how strong you were with your defence of him. I, I was actually, I thought, that's loyalty to a T because it was early on. You didn't know if more people were going to come out and make allegations. And obviously he has been vindicated. You know, a long time has passed. He's taken on the BBC over their coverage. Um, you know, this is a guy that looks, by all accounts, to have actually done nothing wrong and been accused with no basis. But at that time, as as a viewer, as an outsider, we didn't know that. But you went strong defending him. Have a listen. This is a man that is totally innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. But they actually acted... They're treating him like a... Yes. Yeah. And it's just so, so unfair. You were really, really strong in your defence of him. Was that because you absolutely knew he did nothing wrong or was that your sense of loyalty to a friend? I knew he had absolutely done nothing wrong. I've known Sir Cliff since he, I was 15 years old and I've known him throughout my life and I knew it was not possible. You know, Cliff is a very private man and keeps his life to himself, but I knew there was just nothing in it and that's why it hurt me so much because... When that, when that broke, we were both in Portugal because he's got a place in Portugal and I've got a, a shack in Portugal. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> As you do. And we play tennis and stuff. But it was so horrible. I couldn't even get near his place with press and everything else. And that man was distraught. That man couldn't sleep. And all because of this awful allegation. And I was going to support him to the ends of the earth and would always do because... I just knew there was nothing in it. And it was, you can say loyalty. Yes, I'm loyal to him because I think he's one of the most fantastic men I've ever met in my whole life. But I tell you, he was so innocent. And I, and I saw that man crumble for, for what, two, three years? And why the heck should he suffer so badly when this man is so innocent? And you know what? It's because he keeps his life private that they just want to get in there and find mm. something nasty about him. And how dare they? He, because he always has had that wholesome image. But I have to say, I've experienced your loyalty firsthand. You have reached out to me in one of my darkest moments and I will always be grateful for that and I think that is the true value of a, of a person and that is you Bonnie Lithgow I think you're amazing oh don't you make me cry <laughs> Rob. no it's true it's true well hello oh, hang on hello oh, oh Bonnie's crying I've got some tissue <laughs> it's Fraser Hines yeah. Doctor Who star many other things but for me Always Doctor Who. Oh, boss crying, for goodness sake. I know, but <laughs> I was just having a little conversation with Rob and then in you come. Hello, Fraser. Yeah. Fraser Hines, it's good to have you on McKnight Thank tonight. You. Thank you for being One here. We will never get Bonnie doing tears of laughter, though. I've tried all my best jokes <laughs> on her and um, she will... Yeah. I was just going to say, Grant, could you bring over a glass of champagne, please, for oh, Fraser, as we sit here at the Swiss Hotel? Weren't they fabulous to us? They, oh, my it, goodness, what, we, yes. Fraser, you don't know, yes. but we didn't know where we were going to no. record this podcast today, oh, and we were right. running around like mad chooks, oh, right. and, the, and Sue at the Swiss Hotel came to our rescue, and it was just fabulous. Yes. So we love her. Yes, yes. Fraser, it is good to have you here, Doctor Who star. Um, it has been a mad day for us. Bonnie, we, we were running around trying to find a place to shoot. <laughs> yes, and we were. To, to record this podcast. And the Sue at the Swiss Hotel came to our rescue and we're very, very grateful for that. But have you warned this gentleman that I am a big Doctor Who fan and he is not likely to get out alive? <laughs> I love Doctor Who. I love Doctor Who fans. I love Doctor Who fans. Um, what has it been like doing Panto with Bonnie? <laughs> Wonderful. Is she still here? Yes. <laughs> no, really good because she's a. It sounds probably if I say, "Oh, it's horrible," you know. If I say it's wonderful, people, well, what's he mean? It has been really great because she's a great sort of boss. You know, you can have a laugh, and then then she goes, "No, guys, no, that's not funny. We don't have that in the show." So you know. So she's pretty tough. Oh, she's so tough. Yeah. <laughs> I'd believe that. And when I, she gives notes, you have to put a book down the back of your pants. When she gives, <laughs> she's very strict. She's very strict. 
But the trouble is, I have to, you know, as I said to you earlier, I have to draw the line. I'm the director. This is mm. my cast. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so I have to go in there and get the show right. And, and sometimes I'm giving them notes and I just see them giggling or not paying attention. And I'm at it. I'm straight there. Yeah, and say, no, did. listen yeah. to what I'm going to say because yeah. actually it's lack of respect in my opinion. Yeah. So I want them to make sure. When she I'm, puts her foot down, we're under it. <laughs> I'm, uh, Rob, he's like this all the time. He's really si- he's silly and he tells jokes all the time. Yeah. How does Panto compare in Australia compared to London? Well, I was, I was a bit worried because I thought, will the Australians get British sense of humour? But they do. They, they get the sense of humour, which is, which is marvellous. We have a strong connection with Britain. Uh, Brit- British comedies have always done well over here, but Panto hasn't. And Bonnie and I were talking about this earlier. Yeah. But for so- somehow she has made Panto work in this country. She has done something other people haven't been able to do. Coming into this production... Can you see what she's doing that's working, what's connecting? Uh, she's doing something that's right. Yeah. All I can say is she's doing – otherwise, I think if she'd done the first year, what, four years ago, and it failed, she wouldn't be back. But the, it, it, she's built and built and built and built and, and getting audiences bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, we, we, I've come out of the dressing room, uh, the stage doors, and people said, oh, yeah, we came last year, and we thought we've just got to come again this year. We've got to come – you know, which is lovely. And you certainly look like you're having a lot of fun – when you're out on stage. You have to have fun, yeah. You have to have fun. And, and the audience, if they know you're having fun, they will have fun as well. You know, uh, th- there's a fine line, actually. If you're having fun with the audience, I've seen some panels where the cast are having fun on stage and you and the audience are going, well, why? That's not funny. To win? They're sort of, they're doing in-jokes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where did we go last night? <laughs> he had a curry last night. That's not, you know, you have to in- involve the audience. And you know what, uh, Fraser, that's one of my real hates when I see that going on in stage. I went to uh, Wimbledon, funnily enough, I went to see Wimbledon. There was a cast on there and it was uh, a couple of days after Christmas and um, they were messing about on stage. And I went and I wasn't uh, directing that show, but I went straight to the director of that show and said, you need to come in here and look at this cast because... That is one of my pet hates. Me too, I, I yeah. hate in jokes on stage. Me too. I hate you know, when they're, you know, I, yeah, they're talking and other stuff. Mm. But you're yeah. pretty much at every performance, aren't you, Bonnie? You're seeing what the cast are doing. So, Fraser, you can't get away with anything. No, we, we Bonnie always says, if you want to put a new gag in, run it past me. Yeah. We've done a couple where we haven't run it past her because we want to see. She might go, well, that's not funny. <laughs> you know. And then we'll do it. And then she goes, Oh, I love the way you did so and so. I like the, I like the with a cup of tea, you know. Oh, that's funny. I like the yeah, cup of yeah. tea. So sometimes, if you say to a director, "I want to say this, that, when and the they other," came out on stage with a cup of tea. <laughs> yes, oh, that was a yes, great moment. Because yes. sometimes you say to a director, "They go, well, what's funny? Leave, let me do it," and then you realise, "Oh, yes." So sometimes you have to sneak something in, and then. Hopefully, Bonnie will go, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, Bonnie, thank you very much for doing the show. Um, You are, I I genuinely meant it before, you you are always open, you are always honest, and you are very loyal. You're welcome. Thank you for being on McKnight tonight. And it's good night from McKnight. (laughs) Good night from McKnight. Good night. Yes. Cheers. Thank you very much. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.